Let's let our Awana leaders come forward and present our Awana awards tonight. of Kevin. He was uh, being put on our deacon body this year, and we're going to be ordaining him. But before I ask Kevin to come, I want our deacons that served last year to stand. And, and as I said, well, this 19 or year 2000 was just an amazing year. I just, I'm astounded at all that the Lord did for us. We began last year, and uh, we set goals, and I shared with them in January, gave them a list. I said, now, these are the things that we want to shoot for in the year 2000. And one of the things we wanted to do was eliminate all debt. And we said, look, let's, let's shoot for this. We'll do this and we'll work at it. And I believe if we do it this way, do it this way, we'll be able to eliminate all of our debt by July. That was in January. At the end of February, we had eliminated all of our debt in just a month and a half. And then uh, we set our goal for this building out here or the uh, addition on the front of the building there and uh, about a hundred and... Uh, 40, it's going to end at about $145,000, and we raised about 115, going 120 of that, and uh, it's just, it's just, it's just been amazing what the Lord has allowed us to do, and I think these fellas have been a big part of it, and you entrust them, and I appreciate the way you allow us and entrust us to lead you and make decisions for us, for you, and uh, instead of all this business meeting stuff and things when there's important business we do bring it to you but we just month after month we don't come out here and just uh, rattle along with a bunch of stuff and things like that uh, you've allowed us to lead you and to try to follow the lord and these men you've entrusted them with a lot of responsibility to do it and i want you to know i appreciate it it's one of the reasons this church has such a blessed fellowship but these men have been a big part of it fellas if you served in 2000 stand i think they deserve a good hand and i want you to know fellas i love you and thank god for you appreciate the great job you've done amen it's been a real blessing uh, these fellas and i thank the lord for them it is a blessing to have kevin coming aboard this year and i want kevin to come and just take a moment here and to share his testimony tell us a little bit about when you got saved and and uh, as he comes, I want to recognize his family. Of course, Emily, would you stand? This is his wife. Let's show our appreciation to Emily. We thank God for Emily. <laughs> Emily's the real answer to prayer. We prayed about eight, ten years to get for Kevin here to find somebody, and we appreciate you taking him on as a mission project, Emily. <laughs> it's a joy tonight to have his mom and dad. What a blessing to have them here, Brother Hawkins. Miss Hawkins, would you stand? A brother and other families let's welcome them to services thank you so much mother hawkins pastor memorial baptist tabernacle and we appreciate him being with us tonight kevin you come take a moment right after that we'll have our special song it's kind of funny that uh he said something about uh you know talking about my testimony when i was saved and it is i don't think it's ironic, uh, but the fact is that I was saved when I was four years old. And I don't think at that point, of course, I understood everything that God had done for me. But I understood my need, and I felt it in my heart. And I think, you know, here come 28 years later, and uh, the ministry that God has put me in, 
um, is working with these children because I think I truly understand that they do know and God does prick their hearts and they may not understand everything but uh, they do listen and they do hear because I listened I listened uh, you know grew up as a preacher's kid and I've heard every sermon I think there could ever be preached and a lot of times I may not have listened but uh, uh, most of the time I did listen and I listened at that point and I think dad was preaching a revival at the time and we were down at the revival and I asked my older sister I said I think I need to get saved this was one day during the day I said I don't know what to do she said well when dad says come down you go down I said okay and so at the end of the sermon dad called, gave the invitation and my sister goes, now. <laughs> so I went. But, you know, it's, it's kind of been a, uh, kind of a little bit of a joke over the years. But the thing is, is I had already talked to her that day. And I knew in my heart that, that God wanted me to accept this gift that uh, he gives. And uh, it's been, it seems so long ago, uh, but I can still remember walking down that aisle and so I think I thank God for the opportunity that he has uh, allowed me uh, to be a part of this church I think almost eight years now and uh, it, that really has gone by and all the different uh, ministries that he's allowed me to be a part of and now with the uh, deacons it is a great honor and uh, I love this church and I love all of you and I thank you for um, believing in me and keep praying for me and pray for the Iwana uh, group. And uh, also, we still need your help. So uh, I, I can't get without a plug for Iwana. Iwana is a great ministry, and I am so thankful to be a part of it. And I'm thankful to be a part of this church and to be a part of this deacon board. Uh, it is a great honor, and I thank you. Times I didn't know right from wrong, but in every situation, God gave me blessed consolation. Jesus letting me know that I was His own. Through it all, through it all, I've trust in Jesus oh I've learned to trust in God through it all oh through it all I've learned to depend upon his word I've been to a lot of places 
And I've seen a lot of faces. There've been times, there've been times I felt so all alone. And in those lonely hours, oh yes, those precious lonely hours, Jesus let me know that I was His own. Oh, through it all. in Jesus. Oh, I've learned to trust in God. I said through it all, mm, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. I thank God for the mountain. I thank Him for the valley. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. Oh, you know, if I never had a problem, I never know that my God could stop them. I never know that he's my all in all. Oh, yeah, through it all. I've learned to trust in my Jesus. Oh, I learned to trust in my mighty God. I said through it all, mm, through it all, I learned to trust in his holy word. Mm, through it all, through it all. I've learned to trust in my Jesus. Oh, learn to trust in my God. I said through it all. Oh, through it all. I've learned to depend upon His Word. I say, mmm, to that. That's good. Amen. Uh, I thank the Lord for Brother Robert. What a blessing he is to us. And I've told him time and time again that I love him, thank the Lord for him, and I do. Always a blessing. Always a blessing. Let me say to Kevin, on behalf of Kevin tonight, uh, we appreciate Kevin Hawkins, and I don't think we as a church really know all that he does and appreciate him for all that he does. And uh, tonight, the deacons met early, each one of them, they all made reference to his role in Awana and his leadership in Awana, being our Awana director, done a great job. And I, every one of them thanked him for being Awana and I appreciate the great job that he's done, him and Emily in Awana. And then so many other things. I reminded them of so many things that he does and has done that many of us don't know about. You take all the sound and board and recording and playing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Kevin is the one that's done all this, and he's the one that's kept us advancing all along through the years and kept us right on the cutting edge, and we appreciate 
all that he's done. Instruments, everything, light, sound, all that kind of stuff. He's the one that is responsible for it, and I appreciate Kevin and all that he has done. I want you to open your Bibles, 1 Timothy 3. And of course tonight, uh, I'm not, going, not only going to speak to Kevin, I'm going to speak to all these fellas right down here on the front row. And I'm not only going to speak to them, but I'm going to speak to every one of us in this room. Every year, we always have our deacon training sessions. I don't care how long a deacon has been a deacon, they have to go through this. They don't want to go through it then they're not going to serve on the deacon board. And what we do is we go through this, and basically we just, a lot of it is just going over the same material year after year after year after year after year. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to bring the sessions that we have back there together into the auditorium tonight. And I'm not only going to talk to these fellas and put them through their refresher course and Kevin through his training, but also I'm going to let you be a part of it so that you not only, they are not only going to learn what being a deacon is about, but you're also going to learn about what being a deacon is and be reminded of it, of it as well. And so tonight is a uh, session where we bring them in for training, and in particular we focus on Kevin, but as well as everyone in this room. So let me just start off with Kevin saying, the first thing I want to ask you tonight is whether or not you're going to be a demon or a deacon. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. First Timothy 3. 1 Timothy 3, and I want you to notice verse 8, and let's read down through verse 13. And tonight we'll ask the question, will you be a demon or a deacon? Look at 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8. We read from the Scriptures, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And tonight we're going to examine this passage and once again remind all of the men that serve as deacons what being a deacon is about. Introduce Kevin to these truths tonight as well as the church establish these things deeper into our hearts. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you tonight with your word before us. And Father, tonight we are very mindful and very much aware that the word of God is our authority. It is our heavenly mandate. It is our heavenly manual. Lord, help us never, never to do anything that would be contrary to the teachings of the word of God. Help us to lift it up, that which you hold above your own name, and help us tonight to listen to it and help us, Lord, to govern ourselves by it. Lord, may we yield to the teachings of the Bible and may we submit to the authority of the Word of God. So take these few moments tonight and I want to ask you that you might use them in every heart. I thank you for the men that you have given us on our deacon body. Thank you for the men that have served and the men that are beginning to serve. 
And I ask you tonight that the Word of God, that they'll be open and hear the Word of God, that all of us will learn and grow and just be reminded of truths that many of us know. But I pray you just use it in our heart in a fresh way. So thank you now for this service and all that it represents. For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus and for His sake we ask these things. Amen. Before we get into the text tonight, I just want to say just a few things by way of introduction. One of the most misunderstood offices in the church and one of the most misunderstood positions in the average church is that of a deacon. And I would go another step further and say one of the most misused offices in the church and one of the most misused positions in the church is that of a deacon. I would say not every case, but in many cases, maybe the majority, much of the, much of the strife, and division and the fractions that you find in many churches is due to this misunderstanding of what the office of a deacon is about. And it is due to the misunderstanding and sometimes to the misuse of the office and the position of a deacon. Many of a pastor is laid awake at night because of problems on a deacon board. Many of a preacher has carried around a heavy burden, a burden so heavy that no one, unless they have carried that burden, would ever understand because of strife and division and problems on a deacon board. I have known pastors, men of God, touched of God, placed in a place by God, but yet they were forced to leave because of problems on a deacon board. Sometimes God in frustration and God in anger and disappointment, I should say, of how that pastor was treated has actually moved that pastor out of his situation. And the blessing that he intended for that congregation, he gave to another congregation. And he went back to a lot of division and a lot of strife and a lot of fractions on a, on a deacon board. What happens many, many times is that many of a deacon has been more of a demon than they have been a deacon from a biblical point of view. That's why more and more and more you are hearing about churches that are doing away with deacons altogether. And it is not unusual in our day in Baptist churches to find churches where they no longer fool with deacon boards and deacon bodies and no longer care about the role of deacons. And it goes back to all the problems and all the strife that has been in many churches down through the years because of deacon boards. But on the other hand, let me say this that when deacons understand and use their office in a way that God intended them to use it, you'll find a church that is blessed to the Lord. And you'll find a church that is honored of God. And you'll find a blessed, blessed uniqueness about that congregation and a wonderful harmony among the believers. Let me say this. I want you to understand something tonight. I am a Baptist. I am a Baptist. I am a Baptist from the top of my head to the sole of my foot. I'm a Baptist just about like the fellow that I heard about, little community. There was three churches in the community. It was a Baptist church and a Methodist church and a Presbyterian church. And, of course, they'd all dwindled down to nothing. So they all decided they would get together and they would merge their churches. But they began to have problems about whether or not it was going to become the Methodist church or whether it's going to become the Baptist church or whether it's going to become the Presbyterian church. So finally someone recommended, why don't we just call it the Christian church? And the Baptist spoke up. He said, I want you to understand something. I was born a Baptist. I have always been a Baptist. I'm going to die a Baptist. And nobody's going to make a Christian out of me. Well, I'm a Baptist. I want you to understand that. But I want you to understand, I'm a Baptist tonight. I'm a Baptist by birth. I was born into a family 
a Baptist. All of my uh, ancestors, and as far as I know, have always been Baptists. I was born a Baptist. But I want you to understand this. I am a Baptist tonight by choice, and I am a Baptist by conviction. I was born in the family, in a Baptist family, but through the years I developed my own convictions, and I am in the Baptist faith and in the Baptist denomination because it is my choice and it is my conviction. If I felt there was something else closer to the Bible, then I would be in it tonight. But this is my choice by conviction and by what I believe when it comes to the Word of God. I am a Baptist. But I want you to understand this. When it comes to how a church should be run, I am convinced that in many cases, Baptists have been wrong. And many times, Baptists have been wrong in how they've looked at church government, Baptists have been wrong in how they've handled church government, and Baptists have been wrong in how they have treated deacons and how they have approached the matter of being a deacon. I am a Baptist, but there is something else that has precedence over my Baptist faith. That is what the Bible has to say about a matter. It doesn't matter to me if this is the way the Baptists are doing it. If the Baptists are doing this, this, this a certain way, and it's not in the Bible, then I don't care what the Baptists have to say. I'm going to do what the Bible has to say. For you see tonight, the Bible, this book that I have in my hand, is our final authority. We get our marching orders from the Bible. It is our manual. It is our guidebook. We do what we do because that's what the Bible says. We try to run this church the way that we think that the Bible tells us to run it. We don't try to run it the way tradition or tradition or the way our grandfathers thought it ought to be run, whatever. The Bible becomes our final authority. And we're going to do it by the Bible and what the Bible has to say. And somebody has problems with that, then your problem is not with me. It's with God who wrote the Bible and the Bible giving us these guidelines. Can I get amen right there? But at Temple, down through the years, that's what we've tried to do. We have tried to find out how the Bible wants us to do things. We have tried to govern this church by the Bible. I have tried to preach the Bible. I have tried to follow the Bible. In our deacon meetings, we have tried to make sure that everything we did did not violate a biblical principle. Anything we've tried to do, every direction we have gone, we have gone in that direction not because the church down the road did it or not because our neighbor uh, was for it, but because we felt like that's what God wanted and He was uh, authorized by the Bible. That's become our authority and we've tried to do it, especially in this area of deacons. As many of you know, I've never even talked about this, but I think enough years have passed that I can comment on it. But I remember when I first came here, in the first few years I was here, the tension and the strife and the problems and the division that existed here, not so much within this congregation, but within our deacon board. Is a deacon board at that time. We don't have a deacon board at Temple Baptist. We have a deacon body, and there's a big difference between a board and a body. Amen. Now, don't die on me, fellas. Come on, say amen. If you deacon, say amen, or we might vote you out tonight. Amen, say amen. But uh, we have a deacon body. But there was problems and strife and every meeting was just conflict and every meeting was fussing and every meeting was fighting. And many, some of you, not many of the ones that serve now, but some, was, few of you were there and you know the tension and the meetings and how we would leave burden and cast down and fussing and fighting about this and against doing this, bring up to try to support a missionary and everybody or not everybody, but someone was against it. Too much money, couldn't do this, couldn't do that, set any kind of goals, couldn't do it, wasn't in the budget, just fighting and fussing and going on. But finally there came a time when I got a clear-cut 
uh, uh, direction from God in my soul about what to do. And many of you remember the Sunday night when I came to this church and introduced a new direction and said, this is what I feel like God wants us to do. And I said, now, if you don't want to do it, I'll, that's, that's fine. We'll accept that, and I'll make adjustments. But if you feel, believe this is God and you want to change, this is what we're going to do. And you remember that night. About 15 people stood in opposition to it. But I said, now, all of you in favor of this, would you stand? And I remember this congregation just stood to their feet and everybody began clapping and everybody began praising the Lord. And that night marked a turning point in this church as we began to say, hey, look, we're not going to do it just the Baptist way. We're going to do it the Bible way. And we're going to follow God. And we're going to do it the way we feel like this book tells us to do it. And these years of harmony and these years of blessedness that we have enjoyed, I believe we can trace it back to that night when the Bible became our guidebook and how we would do things. And the Bible was our manual and the direction that we went. Amen? But we have tried to follow that down through the years. But I want you to look at the text tonight and remind these fellows, these are what, this is what I share with them every year, share it with Kevin and everyone of you tonight. Let's talk about a deacon. We talk about following the Bible. What is a deacon? Let me point out three things to you from the Word of God. The first thing that I want you to notice in the text that I read a moment ago is the requirements the Bible presents for a deacon. There are the requirements the Bible presents for a deacon. First Timothy chapter 3, you'll find that Paul deals basically with the two offices of the church. In verses 1 through 7, he deals with the office of a pastor. But in verses 8 through 13, he deals with the office of a deacon. Notice verse 8 and notice the words, Likewise must the deacons. Hop there for just a moment. Likewise must the deacons. Now again, he is talking about this is what it ought to be. This is the requirements in the life of a deacon. He's just got through talking about a pastor. He's just got through talking about the pastor. What is required of a pastor? What is expected of a pastor? And now he says, likewise the deacons. Now understand that very carefully tonight. He is saying just like certain things are required of a pastor... There are certain things that are required of a deacon. Just like certain things are to be expected of the man that stands in the pulpit, there are certain things that are to be expected of those who serve in the role of a deacon. Just like there are certain things demanded of a pastor, there are certain things that are demanded of a deacon. And he begins to give these to us and these requirements. I point out four of them from the passage. First of all, notice what he had to say about a deacon's personal life. He talks about a deacon's personal life. And you'll notice as he talks about a deacon's personal life, there are four, four personal requirements, or four requirements for the personal life of a deacon. Look at them. They're all found in verse 8. The first one that he says about a deacon is that he must be grave. Notice verse 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave. Now what does it mean by being grave? Does that mean it's to put the preacher in the grave? Is that what it means? What does it mean, be grave? The word grave that he uses there is a word that talks about being serious. A deacon is someone, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's not to be someone that never cuts up or doesn't enjoy life and doesn't enjoy himself. If you were to take humor and just being able to enjoy yourself and life and church and whatever, then it would disqualify me. I enjoy our life and I enjoy our fellowship with one another. It's not talking about not being able to have fun or cutting up, but he's talking about being serious, being serious about the things of God. 
You see, a man that serves on a deacon body ought to be somebody that's serious about God. A man that's not serious about following God shouldn't be a deacon. A man that's not serious about doing God's will shouldn't be a deacon. That's why when we consider our deacons, one of the things we check, we check to see if they tithe. If a man doesn't tithe, he's not going to serve as a deacon at Temple Baptist Church. There are certain other things we have that we check, and these are determining factors, and we believe they are biblical factors. And if they don't meet those factors, then they don't serve. Because these things reveal how serious a man is about doing the things of God. How serious he is about obeying God. How serious he is about the kingdom of God. How serious he is about winning others to Christ. A deacon must be grave in his personal life. Second of all, he said in verse 8, not only must he be gray, but also he must not be double-tongued. Not doubled-tongued. Literally, two-tongued. He's talking about someone speaks one thing out of one side of the mouth and someone who speaks something else on the other side of the mouth. Very simply, he's talking about somebody that gossips, somebody that tears others down, somebody that puts others down. He said that a deacon should not be somebody that is two-tongued. Saying one thing to one, saying another thing to another. Double tongue, two tongue. A deacon is not to be a gossip. The third thing he mentions in verse 8 is not only must he be grave, not double tongue, but thirdly, not given to much wine. Now for Kevin, I might all dwell on this for just a moment. Say amen right there. Not given to much wine. And of course, there's a lot of Bible culture, uh, ancient culture wrapped up in that particular statement there. Of course, uh, to us, that would be a... Kevin, it's been a real privilege for me to serve this year with the deacons. And uh, it's a real... But the ideal is here, when he talks about not giving to much wine, not given means to turn oneself over to or to be occupied with. And the ideal is of being intoxicated by the matter. He's saying that a deacon is to be somebody who is not to be so occupied and not to be occupied with these matters and wine and whatever and to turn oneself to, and turn oneself to, to be occupied with, not given to much wine. Verse 8, he mentions the fourth thing, and that is not greedy, a filthy lucre. He's talking about someone who is wrapped up in money, somebody the only thing that matters in their life is material things. He tells us that a deacon is to be somebody serious about the things of God. A deacon is to be someone that is not a gossip. A deacon is to be someone who is disciplined in their life. They're able to control their desires and their lusts and they're not be occupied with that which they should not be occupied with and they're not wrapped up in material things. Again, this is somebody that is serious about God. Money does not become their God. God is their God. Everything falls in the order that God wants it to be. They don't live just for what they get out of life. It's not a matter they can't have anything in life. It's not a matter that you can't have money in life and you can't have nice things in life. Nothing wrong with a good job. Nothing wrong with a big home. Nothing wrong with a nice car. Nowhere does the Bible ever condemn a person for being rich. What the Bible condemns is the love of money. It's not what you have. It's when what you have has you. And it controls your life, not greedy, not pursuing that which is material and that which is monetary. There is the requirements for a deacon's personal life. But he goes on. He not only talks about the requirements for a deacon's personal life, but he talks about the requirements for a deacon's spiritual life. Look at verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Now, mystery is not like an Agatha Christie mystery. 
It's not a case of who shot Roger Ackroyd. It's not a mystery such as Alfred Hitchcock mysteries and whatever. But a mystery, when the Bible talks about a mystery there, it is talking about something that was hidden in the past but now has been revealed by God. It's a progressive way of God revealing things throughout history. Like in the very beginning, not everything was known about God. Not everything was known about the economy of God. Not everything was known about the plan of God. But through history, God revealed this. It was known, hidden in the past, but here God revealed it. And He revealed this here, and He revealed that there. And it's just a progressive revelation throughout history. And a mystery is something that God had hidden at one time, but then He made that mystery known. And when the Bible talks about a history or mystery, it is talking about revelation of truth, in particular New Testament truth, the revelation of the New Testament. So when he talks about the mystery, he is talking about the Word of God, that which has been revealed, the revelation of the Word of God. But he says in verse 9 that we're to hold, there is the matter of holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The word hold has the idea of being committed to it. In other words, a deacon is to be someone committed to revelation. A deacon is someone committed to the Word of God. A deacon is someone that recognizes, I said a while ago, the Bible is more than a museum piece to admire. It's a manual to live by. A deacon is someone that recognizes here is the final authority. Here is our Constitution. Here is our bylaws. Here is the truth of God. And we're to be committed to what the Word of God has to say. We are to be committed holding to that which has been revealed by God. So doing, it said in verse 9, in a pure conscience. And the conscious and pure conscience is just the result of holding to re revealed truth. That a man, when he holds to the Word of God and he lives by the Word of God, he'll live with a pure conscience. But if he disobeys God's word and he disobeys God's will in certain matters, then his conscience will be defiled. But he has a clear conscience. That's the idea behind pure, because he obeys God. Verse 10, he said, And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. He continues talking about their spiritual life. Verse 10, he talks about let them be proved. Now this is an interesting word. It has the idea of approving someone after a period of testing. Used to be in Baptist churches years ago in the mountains that I grew up. I don't know about down in this area, but they had this setting aside time where they would watch them and observe them. And I understand that, but really it was not a period of time where you set them aside and watch them to see if they're going to make a good deacon. It's a matter that they have been watched throughout the course of their Christian life. And they have been proved by how they have lived and how they have served God and how they have walked with God. And they have shown in their life that they are someone that first of all is saved and someone second of all that is committed to the things of God and someone that lets the Word of God guide their life. It has been proved in how they have lived and how they have done things and how they have reacted. I've known in churches down through the years what they wanted to do and when many times they chose deacons, what they said, you know, we need to get so-and-so involved. Let's put him on the deacon board. And so they put him on the deacon board to get him involved. But I submit unto you, you don't put a man on a deacon board to get him involved. You put him on a deacon board because he has been involved. You don't put somebody on there to make them do something and to get them to do something. If a man hadn't done anything, he has no business being on a deacon board. A man that won't come to church half-time shouldn't be on a deacon board. 
And a man that won't ever serve God, won't ever work for God, has no business being a deacon in God's church. Because we don't put them on there to get them to do something. We put them on there because they've been doing something. They have been tested and they have been proved. Amen, fellas. Amen, amen. Just want to see if you're still over there. And uh, anyway, these guys are great here. They, they, I pick on them. They, listen, I got nicknames for all of them, and, and we have a good time together, but they know when it comes to the Bible that this is, this is it. This is it. No strings attached. This is it when it comes to the Bible, right? You better say amen, Steve. You're on your first year, boy. You're still probation. Amen. But deacons, get them involved. But I say this, and I just want to point out this, the word prove there talks about testing them, testing them and whatever. The word prove that is used there is in the present passive tense, meaning that it's an ongoing test. Someone thinks, man, I'm ordained, I'm a deacon for life. That's not Bible, folks. Oh, I put on the deacon board, I'll be a deacon all of my life. That's not what the Bible says. A man is put on a deacon board because he has proved himself to be what the Bible would expect of that individual. And if the day ever comes that he ceases to be that, then he's not a deacon anymore, should not be a deacon in a church. It's an ongoing test. It is an ongoing process. That's why in our deacons, and every year when we nominate them, our men serve for three years and then they rotate off. And they are eligible, I say eligible, to come back on after being off one year. If they have been on for one time, that doesn't automatically mean they're going to get back on the next time. When they rotate off and they're off for a year, it doesn't mean they automatically are put right back on. Oh, no, 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 no. They go through the same process the second time that they went through the first time before they get on the second time. It's an ongoing test. It's not a lifetime thing. It's a thing where you are constantly on trial and proving yourself to be what you should be. But he talks about using the office of a deacon. And the using of the office goes right back to this matter of testing. Using the office, an ongoing assessment of your role as a deacon. And these men here, God bless them. They've done so good. And I thank God for them and some of the best we've ever had. And as they serve God, they're constantly, constantly serving the Lord, using the office of the deacon. Why? Because it's an ongoing assessment of their life. There is the spiritual life. Are you still with me now? Say amen. But the third thing he talks about, he not only talks about their qualifications and requirements, rather, as a person in their personal life, spiritual life, but he also talks about their moral life. Look at verse 10. And let them also, let these also first be proved and let them use the office of the deacon, latter part, being found blameless. The word blameless there has the ideal of nothing in that life or in a life that would disqualify them. It's not a matter of sinlessness. None of us would get in if that was the case. But your life is blameless. It's beyond reproach. It's beyond reproof. You couldn't, it would be a case like, for example, where someone, in, someone is on the deacons and someone, maybe someone hears about it and say, you mean he's a deacon? Well, let me tell you what he does. Let me tell you how he talks down here on the job. Let me tell you how he acts down here in the factory. Let me tell you what he does, how he lives and whatever there. You're beyond reproach. Nobody can come in and say, hey, look, he's a hypocrite. Nobody can lay a finger on one thing in your life that dishonors God. You're blameless without reproach and without rebuke. But notice something else he talks about, their marital life as well. Verse 11, 
Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. One of the things I doubt that many people even consider when they put a deacon on is to consider their wives. But yeah, that's what God says. That a man that serves as a deacon for y'all to consider his wife too. What kind of person is she? He says that a wife of a deacon is, not, is to be grave as well. She's to be serious about the things of God. Not a slanderer, a gossip, sober. And the word sober there has the ideal of being sensible. Somebody has good sense. I know what all these deacons are thinking down here. How did I get on? Amen? <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. I, I got the flesh. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got the flesh. But anyway... Uh, your wives, that's what you're thinking about your husbands. Let me reverse that. That's what I meant to say, ladies. That's what I meant to say. But sober, being sensible. Talks about their marital life, their wives. Faithful in all things. Verse 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. He talks about in that verse there how there is to be a faithful, enduring relationship between a deacon and his wife. That there has been a permanency in their relationship. There is a kind of relationship there that doesn't end, but it's a relationship that is developed and built and bonded through the years. A deacon has the kind of home in which there is a faithful, enduring relationship. even talks about the children ruling their own children well. And the word ruling there has the idea of managing, not being an Adolf Hitler over the child, but yet managing that child. And the reason being, if you really want to know how good a man will do managing the affairs of God, look at how he manages his own home. That's a telltale sign to his ability to be able to manage the things of God. But he talks about these things, their marital life, their spiritual life, their personal life, their moral life. He said, don't everybody, you don't just come and put somebody on because he has money or he's popular or whatever. No, 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 no. Here is the word of God. And every man that serves as a deacon is to be filtered through what the Bible says. And if he comes out on the other end, then he is blessed and appointed by God. Amen? It is the requirements of a deacon. But let me hasten on. I've got to hurry. Second of all, there is the role the Bible portrays of a deacon. And I'll give you two things quickly. One, there is the biblical interpretation of a deacon. Look in verse 8. Look at the word deacons. Likewise, must the deacons. You see that word deacons there? It is a word. This may surprise some of you. You know what it literally means? You, were, you know what the, where the word came from, what it talked about? It was the same thing as a waiter. It is a word that is, has the ideal of a servant. The word that is translated deacons many times, Paul said, I am a servant of God. Same word. It is a word that means ministry. Paul talked about someone would serve your table. That's what the word originally meant. And it was expanded to broaden. It was broadened to refer to many, many different types of service. But when he talks about a deacon, now listen to me. When he talks about a deacon, the Bible does not, listen to me carefully, the Bible does not describe a deacon as a master. The Bible does not describe somebody, describe a deacon as somebody that runs the church the Bible describes a deacon as a servant of the church. 
That's why I said a moment ago, we don't have a board. Boards run things. We have a body, living, ministry, service. That's why we call it a body. Deacons don't run this. No deacon. A Bible deacon never has been appointed by God to run a church. Deacons have never been appointed by God to run a preacher. And these men down here know, they don't run me. And furthermore, they don't run this church. And furthermore, just in case you're interested, I don't run this church. God runs this church. And we just recognize we have different roles in God's church. And we try to find out what my role is and do my role the way God wants it done. And they find their role and they do God's role the way God wants it done. And what we realize that deacons are servants of the church, ministers of the church, not rulers of the church. A biblical interpretation. But look in Acts chapter 6 very quickly at a biblical illustration of this. In the book of Acts chapter 6. In the book of Acts chapter 6. Notice beginning in verse 1. In the book of Acts chapter 6 beginning in verse 1. Here is a biblical illustration of what we're talking about. In Acts chapter 6, notice verse 1. The Bible said in Acts, I had it there and lost it. Acts 6 verse 1. And in those days... When the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because the widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Things were just growing. Church was growing leap and leaps and bounds and whatever. But you had this group over here that felt like, hey, look, they're taking better care of uh, those folks over there than they are here. And they had a legitimate gripe. They were. And he said that there arose, he said that because the widows were neglected, there was a need in the church. Deacons were brought into a church because there was a need for deacons. That was the widows were being neglected. So you notice in verse 2, in order to settle this matter, in order to uh, be able to take care of the problem, here was a church was growing leaps and bounds. You had a plurality of pastors in those days, and the pastors, what they had there, there was no way they could take care of everybody. There was no way that one, two, three, or four could take, four, take care of eight, nine, and 10,000 people. Somebody's going to be missed out. Widows were being neglected. Ministry was not being done in the way that it should be done. And so they brought it to their attention. Verse 2 said, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. He said, look, I realize it's a legitimate need. The widows are being neglected. We've got to do something here. This is a need in the church. But our responsibility, we can't do it. I mean, we've got to pray, we've got to preach, so we've got to come up with some, something to do. Here was the answer in verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among ye seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, notice carefully, this business. I had years ago, deacon upset with me, that's to put it kindly, shoved his Bible in my face, spiritual man, wanted to show me what the Bible said, shoved his Bible in my face and pointed out that verse, this business. And he reminded me that deacons are the ones to take care of the business of the church. And this is what I said to him very kindly. You know, I'm kind in anything I do. And I said to him, if that's the best way you can interpret the Bible, that's a good reason why you shouldn't be on the deacon board. And it is, because when he talks about business, it's not talking about running the church financially. What business is he talking about? 
He's talking about ministry. He's talking about serving tables. Out here, people that have needs. We need help. So he puts the men out there going to these people and helping them and reaching out to them and ministering to them. Now let me put in parentheses right here in case you misunderstand what I'm saying. The Bible role of a deacon never has anything to do with business, financial business. The Bible role of a deacon only talks about ministry. That's the only role that you find in the Bible for a Bible deacon. That is a role of ministry. But a Baptist church is a little different. Our form of government, we have to have a form of government in what we have done in our Baptist churches is we have allowed deacons to serve as those who help us in those areas. There's nothing wrong with that form of government. That's the form of government that we have tried to do. And you've entrusted these men to do it and help me in the leading of the business and whatever, and God has honored that. But I remind these men and Kevin and remind you tonight that first and foremost, I say to them all the time, we have been entrusted by the church to lead them financially, but first and foremost, under God, you are not the ruler of this church. You are a servant of this church. Amen? Amen? And that's the role. I've always said this. You do it the way God tells you to do it, you'll be a good biblical deacon and you'll make an excellent Baptist deacon. You follow God, God will give you enough sense to know what to do when the other thing's there. But he tells them verse 4. He said, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word of God. In other words, deacons became assistants to the pastor in some way. The pastor was unable to go everywhere and do all the things, and so he gave deacons so they might reach out to people and minister to people and whatever. It's like our men every week. They're in teams, and every week they go to shut-ins, and they go here, and they do this, and they're watching out for you and caring about you and staying in contact with you. That's what a deacon is. Amen? Amen. Let me wrap it all up with a third thing before somebody gets mad. And you know, I'd, hey, oh, Lord, it'd break my heart somebody got mad. I'd go home tonight and it, it'd take me two minutes to go to sleep if somebody got mad because of what I'm preaching. And I don't want to lose sleep over that. Uh, you, know, you know me. I think so, don't you? Am I apologizing for what I'm saying? No. I just thought I'd make you feel a little bit better about what I was saying. Amen? But look at the third thing. Amen or oh me. But thirdly, the reward the Bible promises for the deacon. Look again at 1 Timothy chapter 4 and notice verse 13. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. If a man will serve as a deacon well, God has promised him. He's promised him two things. One, you see the word purchase there? He talks about it means to achieve. He's promised him, first of all, a blessed testimony. He said in verse 13, For they that have used the office of the deacon well purchased achieved to themselves a good degree. See the words good degree? The words that are used there describe a pedestal or an elevated platform of someone being elevated, somebody being put upon a pedestal, someone being put upon an elevated platform. What God is saying here, what Paul is saying is that if a man will serve well as a deacon, in the eyes of the people, he'll be elevated. They'll see something in that man they admire. They'll see something in that man they respect. He'll earn a good degree. He'll earn a good standing. Some of the most admired men in, these, in this church are some of our deacons. You've watched them. 
They've, they've served God, been faithful to God, and as you look at them, you admire them. You respect them. And that's what a good deacon achieves. He earns the respect, a good degree, a good standing in the eyes of the people. There's a second thing he learned, earns and achieves. Not only a blessed testimony, but a bold testimony. And he said in verse 13, and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Now, boldness here and boldness in the faith, it literally is talking about boldness of speech. You know what one of the rewards of being a good deacon is? You become a bold speaker. Not a preacher, I didn't want to say it. But what happens is, as you honor God and you do, you're a good deacon, then God is at work in your life. And as God is at work in your life, it energizes you for greater service and you find that you become a bold witness for Jesus Christ. One of the rewards of being a good deacon is you earn the respect of those around you. But you also experience something in your life that elevates you spiritually. You find yourself being energized and growing and you become bold in your faith, bold in your witness for Jesus Christ. That is the reward of a deacon in this lifetime. I could go on and on and on. There's rewards in heaven and whatever there. But being a deacon is a serious matter. And right here is how we determine what a deacon is. Amen? Isn't that, isn't that right, church? Isn't that right? Right here it is. And these men are. I want us to bow our heads for just a moment. And I want us, while our heads are bowed, I want uh, Kevin and Emily to come and kneel. And I want our deacons to come and to gather around them and save me a place there in the middle where I can be right there in the middle. And we're going to lay hands on them. The laying on of hands is a biblical way. And what we do, we do not impart to them anything but we simply lay our hands on them as an act, a public act of showing our approval, showing our approval for this one. And that's what we're going to do right now. I'm going to ask Brother Hawkins, Brother Kevin's dad, Pastor Memorial Baptist, been a faithful pastor in this city for a number of years, to come up here and to lead our ordination prayer tonight. And I want you to pray as we, and the ladies, if you would just play softly while they pray, but I want you to pray for God's blessings on these men. I aggravate them a lot, just like tonight. But we have a blessed relationship. We have a great time together. We thank God for them. And excited about the new ones that are coming on. And we'll recognize those in just a moment. But I want us to pray tonight for the blessing of God upon Kevin and the blessing of God upon Emily. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you tonight for using our children we thank you, Father, for instilling within them a love for ministry. And I pray, dear Lord, that you will bless tonight in this very precious moment when we come to see Kevin committing himself in a new role, learning a new relationship. I pray, dear God, that you will work in and through him. Lord, may the thoughts a year from now be deeper than today we thank you father that your name can be glorified through our committing ourselves to you we thank you for his wife for emily 
We pray, dear God, that you will use them together. That, God, your name will be glorified. And that in all things, Christ would be uplifted. Continue to be with this church and all the men who serve, not only as deacons, but in other leadership positions. And those who serve throughout the Sunday school and throughout the music ministry and the outreach ministry and the Awana ministry and all ministers of this church. Lord, we pray that you will continue to use this church in this community. Guide us and direct us, Lord, that we may honor you with our lives. We thank you for our children. For this special night, we give you thanks. We praise you for your goodness and mercy. May Kevin and Emily be used mightily of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.